You're listening to episode 161 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. A month or so ago, I shared an episode about the holding pattern and how sometimes we have this tendency to just get stuck. I know this message resonated with many, but today's episode really expands upon it and let me tell you, you are in for a treat. Rob Tull is an author and success coach of Path 2 Coaching, and I probably should have probed more questions about the name Path 2, which is the number two, because this part of his life is his second path, his Path 2, the path that prioritizes happiness and fulfillment by pursuing his passion. There is a ton of truth bombs and good thought nuggets packed into this episode, so when you hear something that resonates with you while listening, screenshot and tell me what resonated share it on instagram stories tag me in it at mindbizlife and i'll reshare it with the community today's episode is brought to you by sashka co sashka co glass bead bracelets are handcrafted with positive vibes by artisans in nepal each bracelet is carefully handmade bead by bead and comes with a lifetime guarantee i recently received a few bracelets and i love every single one of them My favorite so far is the chakra design, but I also have an orange and blue one that I adore as well. Every bracelet sold helps provide full-time jobs for artisans in need. Order yours today and save some moolah by clicking on my referral code found on mindbizlife.com under the favorite section. These are perfect to have on hand, especially for around the holidays for a little gift for your coworker, friend, teacher, mom, sister, or hey, even yourself. Now that I've shared that, it is time to share this week's episode. You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey Rob, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you join me today. Thanks Lauren, I'm really happy to be here. I have to give a little shout out to Alan Cohen for connecting us. I always enjoy when a former guest connects me to others who are on a world shifting path themselves. But speaking of path, color me curious, (laughs) was being a success coach always part of your plan or what led you to this point in life? Uh, no, that's a, that's a great question. It absolutely was not part of the plan. Um, the, the plan actually was kind of interesting because I had, there are certain desires and aspirations I had for myself, but that fell into the category of wood. And I was a product of kind of upbringing and a system that really supported should. Mm -hmm. And, and so I ended up making a lot of decisions in my life based on what I thought I should be doing and what, uh, and it's what I call the well-worn path. And it's the path that most people in society take because our, our society and our culture is kind of structured in a way where while we encourage thoughts about like dreams and aspirations, we tend to put them behind certain objective goals. And so we, we tend to operate in the American dream mentality, which is have success and then you will be happy. Mm-hmm. And so I fell into that trap very early on, right out of high school and in fact, probably even before high school. Um, but when I entered the workforce and kind of started my life off, um, I was in my essence an artist. I wanted to be, I, I liked the written word. I liked the, I liked drawing. I liked painting. Um, all of those aspects of myself were kind of expressive and communicative. Um, but I was encouraged to not follow that because that would make 
a lifestyle and living difficult. In other words, hey, artists don't make money. You really want a job because a job provides good things for a family. And that's really your purpose in life is to provide for your family. So go chase, you know, the, the standard um, cookie cutter dream, right? Which is just go be, go enter the business world or enter some sort of big machine and just be a cog. Um, and so that's, that's what happened. And um, I really suppressed a lot of internal desires and a lot of dreams to really chase goals. And, um, and when I look back, I realized that that's a conditioning that we're all kind of put through at a very young age. So uh, the entire school system and a lot of the institutions we pass through basically emphasize end goals. And they don't really give any kind of regard for the quality of the experience in order to get to the goal, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about school, it's all about grades. And why do you want to get good grades? So you can get to, you know, go to a good college. And if you go to a good college, you want to do well there so you can get a good job. It's like, it literally is all sequential and it kind of nests and stacks on top of itself. Mm -hmm. And at no point do we actually sit there and say, well, what if that path to getting that goal is miserable? And, and when it does come up, we tend to have those things where the mentality is, um, well, just get through this part. Like this is the no pain, no gain mentality of, hey, just keep your eye on the destination and disregard how awful the quality of life is right now because eventually it will be worth it. And, and I subscribe to that mentality wholeheartedly for, you know, mathematically probably 40 years, but right. it, where it really affected my life was, was 20 years. And so over the course of 20 years, I essentially built myself into um, a really high performing, high achieving executive in the financial services um, realm. I had the stereotypical family structure um, with a partner and kids and a gorgeous house in the suburbs and nice cars and all those wonderful things and saving for college. And I was completely miserable. And, uh, and, it was, and it was something where I couldn't put my finger on it. And um, eventually what I learned um, after the fact, and I'll explain what happened, um, it was what I eventually learned is that all of the emotional goals that I had, all the emotional experiences that I wanted, I'd always put behind objective goals. So whether it was a promotion or whether it was a certain type of lifestyle or whether it was a certain achievement or saving for college or, or what have you, um, everything was, I'll be happy and fulfilled when mm -hmm. these things happen. Um, and by making them contingent and beyond objective goals, I essentially created a situation where I had no positive outcome other than to be stuck because all of those goals and all of the circumstances I found myself in, I didn't control because I gave up my ability to choose. I didn't choose happiness or fulfillment. I chose this kind of, you know, pursuit of success. And so you, you, I basically forfeited control. And so what happened was as life changed on me, you know, careers change, jobs change and circumstances change. There was this building frustration that, wow, if I can't achieve this goal, then that means I will never be able to be happy or successful. And so that idea that I was being limited by my circumstances created this feeling of being stuck. And, and in being stuck, that really destabilized a lot of parts of my, of, of my life. And so what happened was I went from this perfect family dynamic on paper to, uh, and it had all the red flags of, of problems coming. And it essentially um, went to not only the loss of a marriage, but it dissolved an entire family unit. Um, where there was actually a conscious decision of, you know, uh, partners and, and children can no longer live together. Um, it's every man for himself. 
piece out. Um, and that, that dissolution of a family structure um, really was the death blow in a literal sense to, to all my goals and aspirations because I kept constantly looking at success as having not just like what I wanted was acceptance and love and fulfillment and, and happiness. And that was all based on eventually I'll get there when I fulfill all of my obligations to my family. You know, once I save for college, once I save for retirement, once my partner can, can continue to live the life that they want with, without any restrictions. Um, and it really converted a life, uh, a system that we had where, and this is the best phrase to describe it, where I became necessary, but not wanted. Um, and so what happened was I was essentially a means to an end for everybody. And, and that led to uh, a suicide attempt um, in July of 18 that, that failed, um, but it really was the best decision I ever made. Um, and I mean that because A, it was a decision that was the most optimal decision. It, it provided everybody everything. I was able to get unstuck. I was able to execute a choice finally. Um, and I was able to fulfill all my obligations to my family all at once, uh, where everybody would be happy. And um, I knew I wasn't going to get the outcome I wanted. In other words, I wasn't going to have a family unit in the future. Um, and I didn't like the idea of losing that. And the family had kind of voted that, you know, we no longer want you as, as you know, part of the structure. So it just seemed perfect. Um, and um, a good thing for me is that I don't understand chemistry very well. And so the overdose really didn't, <laughs> really didn't work. But what it left me with was this grand realization that, um, that the problem set I had required a solution that is different than everything that led to that point. And what it allowed me to reflect on is the problem of being stuck and having no choices had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the path that I chose, you know, 20 plus years before that. And so it really set off this reclamation process of trying to identify what's the appropriate path to get the emotional rewards I want because the emotional rewards is really what life is about. And I kept delaying them and postponing them beyond all these kind of ridiculous and circumstantial objective goals that I wasn't even passionate about. And so that kind of set off, you know, an 18 month process of, of really rebuilding things and in the process, developing a philosophy and a lifestyle that really prioritized emotional rewards over objective goals. And and what I didn't appreciate at the time is that actually unlocked my ability to be more successful at all of those objective goals. And so it was, it was a massive revelation in the process. And, and so when I went through that, I realized that so many people, so many of my peers, so many people I respect were in the same exact situation I was. They were stuck. They had keep putting. They kept putting emotional goals beyond, or there's emotional rewards beyond objective goals, and um, and they were feeling just as stuck as I was. The difference was the stuck. The the level of stuck that I was feeling was so amplified through um, the the profession I had chose, the un, un, unatten unattainable work circumstances, and a really difficult home life. Um, that all the negative symptoms of it destabilized all pillars of my life simultaneously. And it threw off this massive amount of toxic exhaust, which, which really led to the poisoning of, of my family unit um, and ultimately led to, to the, to the uh, outcome it did. And I looked at that and thought, God, that was such a tragedy. 
like that really none of that needed to happen it was it was purely unnecessary and so as i started to go through and and kind of reestablish myself i found the balance where or if i found what the solution was in order to get emotional rewards and still pursue objective goals and achievements because I'm, I'm a type A, I'm a chronic goal setter. Uh, part of that was conditioning and part of that's just wiring. And, um, and, I, and so becoming a, a quote unquote success coach was my ability to kind of turn around and share this information with people. And, and ironically, I still have the same career that I was in when everything fell apart. It, the difference is I can approach it with a completely different mindset because it is no longer a gateway to my emotional rewards. It is purely objective goals and I can do stuff out of love now instead of out of necessity or um, because I feel that I need to fulfill some sort of requirement. Um, and I can do all the things I wanted to do from an emotional perspective and really entertain the, the inner artist, really entertain, really entertain and, and satisfy the, the inner volunteer um, and be extremely dynamic. So that's a very long-winded um, explanation and kind of backstory on how I got to being a success coach. Um, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't a linear path at all. Uh, and it certainly was not something that if you told me, you know, five years ago, here's where you're going to be. Well, first of all, I don't think any of us feel that way right, right now in the circumstances, yeah. <laughs> but certainly me at an individual level, I never would have imagined I'd, I'd be where I am today. Um, and so that's what kind of kicked everything off. Wow. All I have to say is what a journey. And thank you for just being so vulnerable and sharing your journey so openly. I know so many of us have gotten to that point of stuck and struggle and just feeling like our life has so much toxic energy just swirling around us. And you're just like almost gasping for air. It's just like you feel that heavy weight just on you every single day. You get out of bed and it's there. You go to bed and it's still there. And you're just almost on this autopilot. And I really like what you said of <laughs> this kind of condition to us of this, mm -hmm. those long goals, because I sat here as you were talking, you said you're an artist. My oldest daughter is very creative. And she said something the other day. She's like, do I have to go to college? And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And she was like, I just want to be an artist. I was like, no, you don't have to go to college. I was like, you could go travel Europe and look at all the museums and study with other artists. Or, and then I start like showing her different people like Instagram accounts or like YouTube channels. I'm like, they're just doing it from their house, you know, just like showing her different ways. But it, she's in fifth grade and it's already ingrained in her good grades, college, job, good grade, like yeah. in that order. It's mind blowing because as we know, that is not the path for everyone. And, and I remember getting out of college and it's like, oh great, where's this good job coming from? You know, I graduated in a recession. I'm like, cool, where's, where's the job at to pay these loans? And then you're just feeling lost in itself. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I love the idea that you, because I had the same, I, so, so and as I dissolved my family, one of the things that happened was um, my, my, I have a 15 year old son who lives with me. And so I'm a single dad to a 15 year old son um, and have kind of, I don't want to say exclusive custody of him, but he, he lives with me hundred percent of the time. And he's a very spirited child and very much did not fit in a school system at all. Doesn't fit in a lot of structures um, just by his own wiring. And one of the things he, he raised a similar question to me about like, well, I don't want to go to college. And I said, well, you know, it is an experience, but you don't need to like, what do you want to do? And what he wanted to do was he wanted to be a fashion designer and an entrepreneur. 
And so what was interesting is it's still a lot of that conditioning in me defaulted to the same thing for him, which was, okay, well, you can do that eventually. Mm. And then I stopped and thought, well, that's no different than saying, well, you got to go by delaying it unnecessarily. If he wants to design fashion, theoretically, there's nothing that stops him from doing it now. And so we set off a process of, okay, what do you want to do? Let's do it now. Mm. And, and that like idea of like taking that dream and acting on it today, because if that's, what's important in life, why delay it? It doesn't like, it just, it just doesn't make any sense anymore to me. And so it was, let's make this work. And so in the middle of a pandemic, he's been able to form a business as a fashion designer, generate materials, literally shirts and designs, set up a website, sell things. And, and like, he, he's, he's already successful. He has arrived at this dream that in the normal structure, that well-worn path, we would say, that's great. Set that as your end goal goal now go and do all these unnecessary go through this entire obstacle course that's completely unnecessary and and destroy yourself in the process before you get to that it was it it just seems silly. so I love the idea that you're able to kind of level with your daughter in that way and kind of see that paradigm and 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 where we can and where we can break it yeah and there's so many times even in college where I know I wasn't paying attention because one I wasn't interested why I needed eight histories for a communication degree I'll never know (laughs) But, you know, I'm not paying attention. And I've always thought if I went back at an older age and I was more, you know, inclined to learn this information and I had more intent to really focus and study, I probably would have had better grades overall. But then I just, oh, I remember sitting in college and I was just, I was just bored. And I've thought back if I could reclaim those four years of my life, what would I do? you know? Right. And, and I, I left college, ultimately became an entrepreneur. Did I need college to become an entrepreneur? Your son has just proven no, no, you yeah. don't, you don't, you don't need to. And as you know, mistakes are huge in, in learning. And as like being a business owner in itself, you learn from those mistakes better than any other lesson that you could have gotten from someone else sitting in the class any day. Oh, I- Absolutely. Absolutely. And even to the point where like that challenge for me as a parent is I have to get rid of my own idea Mm -hmm. of what an appropriate parent is. Because we would think as as a responsible parent, well, sure, you got to send your kid to college. Like, and that becomes like, you know, you get this kind of laundry list of things you need to do as a parent for the benefit of your kids. And one of which is saving for college and you got to do all these things for them. And I stopped and had really accept the fact that I need to parent him in the best way that's for him, not fulfill some sort of expectation that society has put on me in what is an appropriate thing for a parent to do. And so the idea of like saving for college or really encouraging that, it's like, well, no, that's secondary. I can give him resources to help his dream come true. And whether that's college or something different or entrepreneur, the key is that I show up for him. And I support him, whatever that is. Now I can teach him lessons that I've learned. And, and that's kind of part of being a coach too, for me is, um, I paid the ultimate price. Like I lost literally everything in my life. And so I had to rebuild stuff from scratch. And it was like, okay, that cost was too high for that lesson. And so if I can share that lesson, I will. And I'll share certain lessons with my son. 
But there's other times where it's like, hey, buddy, this is something that like, I can tell you, but you're not going to believe me until you have your own scar to look at and be like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes that's just like with age too. I'm like, I know that certain things were said to me when I was a teenager in my early twenties, but it was almost like until you live through it or you have that awakening of sorts, you're like, oh, I get it now. I get it. I get it. And it's also interesting too. You can just reflect back on your own parents and you can give them so much more grace for, cause you're just like, wow, you were going through a lot. I didn't even realize as a kid, you know, just like you, you were still going through traumas and just everyday struggle of life. And that was heavy. I didn't see that as a child, but I see that now as an adult. Yeah. And you know what? That's a great point because when I think about how I ended up on my path. And it was very, and I think people had a similar thing. Mine might've been a little extreme as I was sat down when I was very, very young and like extremely too, too impressionable to be honest with you. And I was told like, look, as a boy, you have one objective in life. Like your life is to provide the best quality of life for your eventual family as possible. Their happiness and their needs always come before yours. Like Mm. you are a vehicle for them to have the greatest life possible. And it was actually brought to me, it was, it was taught to me, not just by example from my own father, but really it was like, that was an honor. It was like, wow, I get to give my life for the benefit of other people that I care about so that they can have a life that they've only ever dreamed of, that they can achieve their dreams. And so that was my, and so when I look back at how I was raised and I think, oh, wait a second, he, my father clearly made sacrifices in order to fulfill that objective. And I know what that objective cost me. I wonder what it cost him. And when I started to really study it, in my own recovery and as I was kind of building my own system, what I found was it's what I call deliberate unhappiness. And it's where we, as a parent, and a lot of us fall into this trap where our own happiness suddenly evolves to where like our family's happiness and family's contentment, we classify as our own happiness. Mm -hmm. And when we think about fulfillment, like career success and achieving goals becomes a form of fulfillment. It's not actually fulfillment. But it's what we label that way. And when we listen to ourselves, talk to our children, oftentimes we'll hear the theme of don't do what I did. Mm. And that that's like a red flag, because what we're saying is, look, I chose a path that I didn't get to chase my dreams. I, you know, there's something that's unfulfilled in me. Don't make this mistake. But the problem is those are words. They're not actions. When our children get to that point where they make their own decisions, guess what they're going to reflect on? Mm. The action, not the words, because the action is a lifetime of exposure that they saw. Those words might have been said once or twice. So when we think about our kids going off to college or, or anything, just leaving high school, leaving the nest, that first decision they make, if they're not pursuing their heart and their aspirations and they're doing the well, what would my dad want me to do? What would my mom want me to do? Or worse, what would they think oh, if I yeah. chose my heart? Yeah. That, like, that's a key where it's like, if we're going to break that kind of cycle of deliberate unhappiness, we need to have an open space for that. And it's really like finding the tools ourselves and, and teaching them to our kids. So I, mm. I get it. I mean, you really, you really highlighted something there and that, that it's, it's truly awesome. Oh, wow. Let's talk about emotional reward a little bit because you had, you touched on that. People have this direct correlation of if I have success and I have happiness and that has definitely been drilled into us. But I think when, if people listen to your story, they're like, and, and let's say that they're not, they don't have, you know, 
the, the, the great career. They, they are still wanting that family unit. And they had seen you, let's say five, 10 years ago. And they're like, he's got what I want. Not knowing that inside you're just not happy. And they're looking at you like, how could you not be happy? You were lacking emotional reward. So, so what is emotional reward and how does, how does that kind of triumph over success and, and what we know as success? So a, a great way to kind of shortcut to it. And that's a fantastic question because I asked myself the same thing. I, I, would, I would look in the reflection of the mirror and I'd be like, how dare you not be happy? Mm. Like ha, you ungrateful, you know, POS. And it was like, and it's like, and that's, and see what that is, is that is this, it's the same thing. It's that same energy that I am not enough energy, that same kind of shame energy that then causes us to sacrifice our own dreams and aspirations for the benefit of others, because there's so much shame and I'm not enough. So the way to shortcut it is I think about like, why is a goal important to me? Like, and so I complete the sentence of, I want to achieve X goal, because when I do that, I will feel why. And, and it's what I feel that then becomes important. And so when I think about uh, my own career. So I, long ago, I developed a mission statement and, and it, you know, probably before I was a parent and the mission statement was, um, I'm going to give everything I can of myself so that my family can live a life free of financial concerns or stress so they can pursue the dreams they want. Mm. Well, out of the gate, that sounds really noble, but it clearly set me up for emotional failure. A hundred percent, you know I mean? so, right? Like, like I'm going to give everything to y'all. Like, <laughs> end of the day, it's all yours. I'm starving, but you get the last little bite of correct. food. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so, like, it sounded great. And so, that was that was my motivation. And so, what happens is the emotional rewards that, like, if I sit there and look at goals, right? So, one of the goals that I had was uh, to achieve a certain level of professional success. And there's kind of two layers there. The first layer was the, the really objective way, which is I want, emo, I, want financial, I want financial rewards to come from professional success because that enables me to save for those, obli those financial obligations faster so I can get the hell out of this industry and finally do what I want to do. Ooh. I hated the job I was in. It was soul sucking. And so what I said is, okay, if this is awful, instead of quitting, let me, let me turn it up. Let me just increase the horse. And this is, this has been a problem my whole life. Turn up the horsepower. Like, let's <laughs> just go, let's just gas it, put everything into this and get to that goal faster. So then I can shift and do what I really want. And I won't have guilt of letting anybody down. Mm. I'll fulfill my obligations. And I can feel like all of the time I invested in the career was for something. Cause if I quit now, then all that time was for naught. I get no reward. There's, there's, it was just cost. So that would, that's kind of a way to look at, okay, what's the emotional, the emotional reward is I want to satisfy being a provider for my family. But the real thing when I look at the professional success was, oh, I want notoriety. I want recognition. And the recognition and notoriety comes down to acceptance. I want to be accepted. I want to feel like I belong and I have value to people. So it was this, my own sense of integrity but also I wanted acceptance and it's like, okay, well that means you're lacking acceptance someplace else that might actually be critical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I wasn't accepted in my family. Well, why were you not accepted in your family? 
well, I was miserable all the time. Why were you miserable all the time? Because it was in a job I hated. Well, why were you in a job I hated? Well, because I was working on this long-term goal that's 25, 35 years out, and I feel like sacrificing all of my true wants and all, like authentic desires are worth achieving this goal. Like it's all a system that feeds itself. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, so now you're miserable. So now you've just destroyed the very thing that was your priority. Mm. Like I literally, so my whole goal at some point, I got really, I loved the idea of being just an old cranky grandpa <laughs> that sat on the porch and like told lies and just raised hell. Yeah. I loved that idea. And like being that kind of like where little grandkids run around like, and that's, that's, that's pop tall or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and so it was like, and so the idea that the path that I was on was grinding me to a pulp and kind of callousing me, it kind of fit into that lure. I made it work. So it was like, mm -hmm. oh, I can still do both. Um, but then when that, that kind of toxic exhaust started to happen and it was like, okay, your lack of self-worth, your, your misery, your, like all of those things, the resentment that builds up because it's like, you know, it, it, it's a system that then becomes dependent on you because at multiple times in my life and in my career, I would go back to my partner and say, I'm done. I need to stop. I need, I need to shift gears. I need to do something else. And there was always, there was always two barriers. The first barrier was um, the objective barrier, which is, well, how, how are we going to provide? I had a mm -hmm. partner that was a stay at home partner full time and, and was able to do all the things they wanted to do. They, they literally lived the nine to five, like a single person or someone without a family. Um, and then in the evenings kind of clocked in family time. Um, so it was logistically, how's that going to work? Um, and then the second thing, which was really interesting and I didn't appreciate was, well, Rob, you're miserable all the time from your job. The last thing anybody in this house wants is for you to be here more. Like, oh. because it was seen as the don't bring that back home um, without an acknowledgement. Well, wait a second. If I leave the job, maybe I won't be so miserable anymore. Right. Like, and I'll maybe I'll actually be pleasant to be around. Um, and so that's, it's a really difficult thing to overcome. Um, and it's one of those things where usually when we're in the thick of it and we're stuck, we can't see the horizon. We can't see daylight. And so it's one of those things where sometimes you don't actually get it illuminated for you until like the autopsy report comes out yeah. and you're able to look at it and be like, Oh, that's where everything went sideways. I get it now. Well, what do I do now going forward? Like, and, and that's, and, and that's kind of where that, that was the journey that I went through. Yeah. And so I, I love how you just laid that out too, of so many things are just cyclical. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it was, it was your job. Like you had this big end goal of providing for your family, but the whole reason that you were doing that was based on your job and it was your job that was making you miserable and thus making you miserable at home. And oh my gosh, I have been that person because I remember, and this was a couple, I mean, many years ago, uh, my oldest daughter was very little. I was working for Ford Motor Company and we just had this like crazy schedule, you know, like one parent was working days, one was working nights and we were just in this like, I mean, it was, I look back at it and I'm still like, how the hell did we do that? You know, it's just like mm -hmm. very autopilot. And I remember being so miserable. I mean, miserable every waking moment I felt like of my life. And then I came home and I felt like the most miserable mom. I mean, I was even that mom who was like 
why doesn't my kid like me? Like I had to take that step back. And I was like, am I like a terrible person? And I realized, no, it's all of my stress coming out in the way that I parent from the way that I'm being snippy to like in a minute, you know, just like Mm -hmm. I I can't, I don't, it's almost like you can't be bothered just because you're, you're holding so much. It's so heavy. And then when I left that job, I kid you not, I slept for like a week straight. I didn't realize the physical toll it had also taken on my body. And I think, you know, for people like you and I who've just like hit that ultimate burnout where you just like crash and burn, you're okay with losing so much because it's just like, it's like, I can't go on anymore. We don't ever want people to have to get to that point to getting to that point is, is a scary point to look back at, even though it's a very life-changing point. So what action steps can someone take when they just feel like they're stuck, they're not seeing the, you know, they're having fogged vision right now mm-hmm. and they can't see clearly. What can they do? Oh, that's a great question. And that, and that's exactly it. Like when you don't have that future vision, it's really easy to feel hopeless. Yeah. And, and that's actually, that's the answer is finding the future vision. Now it's not just as simple as sitting down and saying, what do I want from my life? It's actually sitting down and saying, and, and reflecting on, who am I as a person, right? So we, we've got, in order to kind of get to the future, we actually have to go backwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when we go backwards and we look at, you know, as an individual, what are the emotional experiences I wanted to have in life? Like that, that's kind of one. And then two gets to, okay, when in my life have I had those emotional experiences? When, and, and, and the way that I label them generally is flow. And what I find is when everything is in sync for me, and, and if I were to label something happiness or fulfillment or joy or peace, and I really break it down, it's because I was totally in the moment and the rest of the world either went away or I felt connected to everything around me all at once. Mm-hmm. And so it was really that sense of flow. And so it was big in, getting a chance to almost go on um, a scavenger hunt through life and say, when were the times you felt that way? What was going on? And starting to catalog it and say, okay, now reflect on this stuff. When was it? Well, it was, you know, anytime I would do something that was creative expression, whether that was poetry, writing, drawing, whatever. Um, oh, it was also physical activities. It was, you know, jujitsu or working out. Oh, wait, it's when I was outside. It's when I was in the sun. Oh, yeah, when I was in the sun. And you start to build that list and you start to recognize like, oh, wait a second. Those things aren't just good because I like them. They're good because they're telling me something about my spirit and my intuition. <sighs> And so then it's, then you step back and say, okay, well, what are my values as a person? Because when we take a job or when we end up in a circumstance that's against our values, it's really hard to feel happy. It's really hard to feel at peace. And it's really hard to actually get unstuck when we feel like we're making value compromises. Mm-hmm. And so then we think about values a little bit and you say, okay, what are the values that are really important to me? Like, what are the ones that are the focus of my day? And, and what are the ones that are really important, but I can't do anything about? And, and we start to like look back and reflect on that stuff, take all of those as key ingredients, and then sit down and create a future vision for ourselves and say, okay, if I take just these pieces and note, none of this has to do with our circumstances as, as a parent, as a partner, as a professional, it's all about us as individuals, right? So it's really who am I as a person? And then say, okay, if I were to take all those ingredients and put them into something and kind of let it rise like, 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 like good sourdough and say, okay, let me look at that in the future and, and really meditate on a visualization of who I am in the future. 
And let me meet that person in the future who is able to live in accordance with all the things they want from life, who is able to operate without limits and to really embrace kind of their passions, their values, um, when they feel in flow, all those things, and then sit down and really get a chance to know that person. And when we do, it's not just knowing them in terms of, oh, I can describe that future vision of myself. It's seeing it from within. It's okay, what does that person think like? What do they feel like? What are their, what are their priorities of the day? When we can kind of have that meditative visualization experience, and not look at it as, oh, if my life just continues forward from this point, here's who I become. It's almost like we reset from where we are. We almost lift ourselves out of our current state mm -hmm. and say, I'm going to go back to my essential ingredients. I'm going to put them together. And I'm going to say that person can make any choice they want. Who are they going to become? And then really identifying that as kind of the, the way to get us unstuck, to get motivated, to know that that is not a dream. It's not imagination. All the ingredients I just identified are in me and they're all experiences I've had. All I've done is removed all the non-essential pieces and let it play itself out. So it's, it's, you know, it's not a dream. It's kind of like forecasting of the future. Yeah. Like this is the person I, I, I will become if I let these essential ingredients have their rightful place mm -hmm. and kind of remove all the non-essential fillers. Yeah. I like that because it, it, if we take it back to like masculine and feminine energy, you were saying that, you know, if your long-term goals, you're like, oh, I, I got to make more money. I'll put more into my work. That's a very masculine energy. Do more, be more, more, mm -hmm. more, more. And flow is very feminine energy where you're just mm -hmm. taking that step back. So how, how, this is a big one. How <laughs> do you shift from, especially being a man too, how do you shift from force into more flow, I would say with grace and ease, because I think like that it's, that's difficult. That's a difficult yeah. mindset to adjust. Totally. It is. So the first thing is we have to let go of things that don't serve us. Right. Mm. So that idea, that masculine energy and that masculine model. And, uh, and you mentioned Alan at the beginning of the session, I had a great conversation with Alan about, you know, defining real men. And it's mm. like, it's, it's a ridiculous notion. And it's the idea that when we can let go of certain stereotypes and certain boxes that we put ourselves in, like what is appropriate for, what is the appropriate role of a father versus mm. the appropriate role of a mother? Like even those have paradigms. You think of the you think of the cleavers. If you go back to the 1950s as being, and then it was rolled forward with Happy Days and the Cunninghams, and it gets rolled forward into every sitcom imaginable has that kind of stereotype that they that they teach us culturally. But the idea is when we think about both of those roles, neither one takes into account the uniqueness of the children, mm -hmm. and so or the uniqueness of the partnership. And so it's such a funny idea that, you know, that people would approach a situation, a, a partnership, and come with a stereotype that they're going to try and hold to without regard for any other person in the system. So as a man, like that idea of shifting out of that, I have to let go of that attachment and understand that I can operate without these rules of engagement because I have the internal tools and, and the resources to be the person that's appropriate for all the circumstances I'm in. Now, one of the things that helped me really get in touch with that flow energy 
uh, was a great tool and it's, and it's a sensory tool and it, uh, it's a sensory check-in tool. And uh, depending on how you look at it, there can be three or four parts to it. And I'll describe the four part piece. Um, and the four parts are mind, emotion, body, and spirit. And what it is, is in, so that flow comes from parts where we're encountering an experience or we're engaged in an activity that's resonating with our spirit and our intuition. In other words, where it feels like I was made for this, like where I can give myself fully to it and there is absolute harmony. So when I do that, that sensory check-in, the first thing is in any kind of circumstance, regardless of what it is, and we can even be at the start of the day uh, to check in with my mind. Hey, where's my mind at? What does my mind want from me today? And, and what's, what's occupying my mind? And letting it kind of voice what's going on. And then doing the same thing with my heart. Uh, okay, emotionally, what am I feeling today? What, what's coming up? What's going on? What does it need from me today? And just letting it voice its opinion. Asking my body. You mentioned the fatigue from, from that working at Ford. Absolutely. We as a society are just utterly fatigued. And so the idea of listening to our body somatically, being like, what's going on? Like, how, do, how does my body feel today? Oh, we're tired. Yeah, but what, what's going on? Okay, your back hurts, your feet hurt. Um, God, your digestive system is out of whack. My head hurts. Mm-hmm. Letting all that thing. And the idea is to let those three systems report back to us what's going on. And the reason they have to speak is because in order to hear our spirit and our intuition, we have to let those things get kind of flushed out first because there are such high need systems. Right. When we tune into our spirit and our intuition, that's where we start to hear that flow state. That's where, okay, what does my spirit need for me today? You need to be outside. You just need to be in the sun. Like that's where you get very non-concrete um, reports back from mm-hmm. it. And, and the thing I like about that sensory check-in and, and the way I tend to think of it is the reason the, the mind, the, the heart, and the body have to check in first is they're, they're, if you imagine them like volume dials, the three of them have a dial that go to 11 and the spirit only has a dial that goes to 10. And so we will never hear our spirit. It's really hard to hear flow until we can turn down those other things. And so when we think about, and athletes tend to talk about flow state a lot um, or, or, or heavy meditators tend to talk, talk about it. And the reason is because they know how to adjust their body, their emotions, and their mind in certain circumstances that suddenly allows them to hear their spirit and their intuition. Mm-hmm. So you think about like a high-performing athlete, they know what to do with their body, they know how to clear their mind, and they know how to put their emotions on the side in order to perform their best. Well, right away, they just turn down all the dials, and so suddenly flow can happen. Right. And so it's really is, it's about that. So first, it's letting go of the stereotype and, and trusting our ability to function in a way that's best for our life, regardless of what the stereotype says, and then have an ability to dial in to hear our spirit in the way that's, that's most beneficial for us. Whoa. I love that. What an amazing exercise to do that just connects it all back because you're so right. There are so many times that we have these expectations that society put on us. Like I know I've used this example before and I'm sure someone might call me out on using it again, but, um, I would use like, I'm a bath person. It's just how I reset myself. Mm -hmm. And I, when my kid, both of my kids started going to school full time, I remember just like 
wanting to take a bath at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like it was quiet, right? Like it was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I can wind down. And then boom, I would instantly go into guilt because it's 12 Mm -hmm. o'clock. You don't have your kids. You should be working right now. You should be editing. You should be hustling to get a new client, whatever it, you should be putting in a load of laundry, whatever it was like guilt immediately came in. And one of my mentors was like, well, why are you feeling guilty about it? And I was like, cause there's so many other things to do. And she was like, but that's not what you need to do. She's like, mm-hmm. you have already been, you've already gotten that download of what you need to do. So surrender to it and do it. So when I realize I start to surrender to those little voices, those little nudge from my, my spirit, as you say, mm-hmm. um, man, it, it does. It takes that whole, <laughs> you just feel that internal energetic shift even mm-hmm. of you're honoring your body, you're honoring your emotions, you're honoring what you need in that moment. And there's even been times where I've woken up and like, I just knew something was off. I either didn't feel well, or I just, it was just the energy was heavy. And I just knew I was going to have a day. And I've, I've reached out to a podcast guest and I've been like, Hey, is there any chance that we could just reschedule? And every single guest, I mean, I've only maybe done this like three times, but they've all been like, yeah, no problem. Whenever you're feeling your best self and old me would have been like, nope, show up, hustle, got to get it done. You know, like they did this new me is like, no, it's going to be so much better when you're showing up feeling good. So surrender in itself is really hard and letting go. Oh my heavens. Like you nailed it. (laughs) It's like when you get past the letting go part, you really can start to chip away at those little pieces where you have those dialed turned up and you can start turning it back a little. Yeah. And if I can add on to that, cause you're, yeah. you're, you're so spot on, right? So if you think about in the times where if you were going to not take the bath and instead give into the guilt, think about the productivity and the energy and how you would show up in those circumstances. Terrible. Terrible. Versus if you took the bath and then became, and then went into productive mode, think mm. about how differently you would approach the tasks at hand. Like it literally, that is the cue where the, our bodies and our intuition is telling us, this is the time where we're recharging. And if you fight while you're depleted, it's not going to work out. My whole existence was fighting while depleted. And I think a lot of people that feel stuck because it drains us being stuck, right? So then we're constantly fighting while we're depleted. And it's like when we can finally embrace what we should be doing and where our hearts are, like emotionally, what we want from life, I can do more now than I ever could before losing everything. Like just to tell you thumbnail, I'm a full-time high-performing executive. I'm a coach. I'm an author. I'm an adjunct professor. I'm a single parent that operates full-time. Like, and I still want to add more to my list because it feels limitless. Today I was thinking about like, wow, I really want to start writing books creatively and sharing them on podcasts. My, my rational brain was like, are you nuts? (laughs) But my spirit was like, yeah, totally. Like, think you of like, yeah. yeah, it's going to expand the battery and you're going to have more bandwidth. Mm. So you're, you're absolutely spot on when that comes up. And it's like when that intuition says, I need this, follow it. Cause it really does pay dividends in the end. Yeah. You're so right. And it, and it's like, you take, if I take that bath meal of the day, you're right. I show up, I'm calmer, I'm more relaxed. And I know that there are people who have been at their job and you're like, 
I've worked eight hours today, but I really only worked four hours today. Yes. You know, it's like, did you, could you, did you really need those eight? No, I, everything I needed was done in four. So it's kind of like the same thing of like, mm-hmm. it, it would have taken me longer to do my task than and I've been like, oh, let me check my email. Oh, I have 97 browser tabs open. Let me click through all of them, you know, just yeah. to just delay the task at hand because that's not really what you want it to be doing anyway right oh my goodness so yeah. many and that's a, that's a, that's actually a great that's a great system question like like one of the rhetorical ones where if we look at us as a society and say are the reason the workday is so long is because none of us really want to be doing what we're doing and so it's harder to get the basics done and Ooh. we need more time like oh yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a really good way of looking at it because I mean, I just remember if I go back to Ford, I I had coworkers uh, when I first started because I'm I'm a very fast worker. Everything I do is very fast, even though I'm very precise. It's just my brain works at a very quick level. And um, I was working social media. So I was like sending out tweets and like, we, I was like sending out tweets like a hundred a day, which I mean, we, we, we weren't just <laughs> tweeting to tweet. We actually were like talking to customers. So, mm-hmm. um, but like, I remember my coworkers, they were like, slow it down. Like you're, you're setting the bar too high. <laughs> and I didn't realize in that moment, like me starting, I'm like, why don't you want to do more? Like, this is amazing. And then six months in, I found myself, I'm like, mm, I might do 50 today. Yeah. <laughs> like how slow slow can I go at this? Because then I hit that misery point where I was like, no, this is not fulfilling. I don't want to be here. I don't really care about your cars. Pick whichever color you want. You know, like, so at that point, yeah, I, I, my, I could have gotten done what I was going to do in eight hours and four because I was not in a job that I wanted to be at. Yep. Oh my goodness. Well, Rob, I know you have so much more to offer to our audience. Tell us where Mm -hmm. they can go to connect with you further. Absolutely. So uh, my website, which is path, the number two coaching.com. Um, and the, the number two is key because uh, when I talk about being stuck, it's we're stuck on a path. And so what I really embrace is my mission is helping people find their second path, like find the alternate path that that prioritizes emotional rewards. Um, and so it's path2coaching.com. Um, you can also look me up on Facebook under Path2Coaching um, or under under my name, Rob Tull. Um, and I'm accessible on, on both those forums. Awesome. I'll be sure to link that in this week's episode notes. Rob, you are doing such important work. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your light. Thank you, Lauren. This has been great. I can't express how much I appreciate Rob's openness and authenticity. After we stopped recording, I told Rob when this episode would air, and he shared that he has a special connection with this date. And when the numbers 10, 14 show up together, he pays attention and uses it as a benchmark. How cool is that? I've linked Rob's website and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. And while you're clicking around on the interwebs, be sure that we're connected too. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at MindBizLife. And speaking of social media, did y'all notice that the podcast Instagram got a little facelift? New branding with more of a crisp and clean feel. I'm digging it. Let me know if you are too. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. I'll see you back here on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.